0: My name is Edwin Thomas and this is Mapping Clay, a podcast by Zentrum Paul Clay about the artist's journeys. Paris, 1912. At the beginning of the 20th century, artists from all over Europe made the pilgrimage to Paris. The French metropolis had become the hub of the international avant-garde. A network of artists and gallerists created a breeding ground for the emergence of new movements in modern art, which were presented in startling exhibitions. In 1912, Paul Klee travelled to Paris. There he encountered the works of the Cubists and discovered in Robert Delaunay's studio the colour fields of his abstract compositions. He discussed his travel plans with his school friend, Ernst Sonderreger, who was living in Paris. His busy programme was recorded in his diary. Letter to Ernst Sonderreger in Paris, October 1906 Dear Mr Sonderreger, According to the dear letter that you sent me upon my wedding announcement, you too have become a husband and will certainly have become accustomed to the new circumstances very quickly. At least that's how it was for me. How enviable that you were in Paris, and if you're staying there longer, the thought won't leave me in peace for a minute. Being in Munich is just about tolerable. It still is one of the best places for people like us, but in fact it's a sober city of merely artificial beauty. My work was long dormant, too long but now I'm busy framing the glass pictures. At least that's one step. More to come. For the moment, I have lost all contact with literature to the extent that I cannot bring myself to read the Brothers Karamazov that you recently made available to me. I'm therefore asking you to let me know if you can do without your book for a while. Regarding the amethyst, unfortunately, I'm responsible for a mishap. I forgot about the issue of the drawings by Cuban. When my wife comes home, I'll ask her if it was subsequently forwarded. If not, you shall get it right away. If you ever come to Munich, of course come and visit me, perhaps with your wife. I haven't seen Haller this year at all, I think for the first time. I'm so used to him looking at my new things each time that I haven't seen a line from him, is nothing new to me. Meinhardt wrote to me that he'd been travelling to Holland via Spain and Paris, or was intending to, so Bern was missed out this time. Maybe you've seen him? We live here in a rather pleasant apartment in a new district, and have some conveniences, a bathroom, for example. As for a studio, I haven't been able to find a suitable one yet, and so for the time being I make do with a room that I've had painted neutrally so as not to be distracted by any wallpaper. It's not the real McCoy, but I couldn't expect my wife to set up home in the frugal spaces of a studio. Farewell for now, all the best, and let me hear from you again. My wife sends her best regards, also to your dear wife, with kind regards. I am yours in friendship, Paul Clay. Nota bene, as for the book, my wife asks to be allowed to keep it for a while. The amethyst, according to her, was sent to you already from Bern. Diary, Munich, January 1911. Cuban, my benefactor, has arrived. He acted so enthusiastic that he carried me away. We actually sat entranced in front of my drawings. Really quite entranced. Profoundly entranced. He returned that night for our music session with Karl and Maria Caspar. In his enthusiasm, he didn't fear such calm witnesses as these. As regards development, you are the first of them all, is it not so? Whereupon he slipped in, I trust you also have some hope for my development. In saying this, his voice succeeded in sounding magnificently sincere. He's certainly a fascinating person and an incredible mimic. Zina brought the art critic Wilhelm Michel. In the spring of 1910, certain works of mine had somehow been shown to him without success. Now a number of things, I suppose, have changed. After all, there was no Zena for him at the time. Oh, sweet Schwabing. He quickly suggested that we undertake to do something together and finally went off with a whole pile of drawings. The first attempt was supposedly made on Herr Koch, a former travelling salesman in wallpaper, now Councillor Koch and publisher of art and decoration. He didn't like my work and for the days ahead predicted a new loving manner of execution. Then an attack was launched against the former custom tailor, Tannhauser, who now owns a modern gallery in the Arco Palace. This worthy, who had returned my works to me unopened when I had dealt with him personally, now said yes in principle to the influential gentleman of the press. Letter from the Clays to Ernst Sondereger in Paris, May 18th, 1911. Lily Clay to Ernst Sondereger. Dear Mr. Sondereger, We are not amongst the keenest of writers, even I am gradually giving it up. You have delivered us a great surprise and delight with the Buchner, and I sincerely thank you. The package you mentioned has unfortunately not arrived for Booby, who has become a big and rather boisterous boy. The winter involved some significant musical impressions. We weren't at the opera at all, except for Der and Cavalier by Strauss, which was a sorry effort. We met the Caspars on a few occasions. They have now been in Italy for a long time. The encounter with Cuban was a significant event, a very interesting person. The Lagers were here for several months but didn't visit, and we learned from Casper that they'd been here. Otherwise, I don't have anything to report. I live in music just as my husband is totally absorbed in his art. I hope you're well. What's wrong with your sister? Regards to Hala. With my regards, your Lily Clay. Paul Clay to Ernst Sandelager, Dear Ernst, I can't imagine how long I've waited since your last letter. The best thing would be to see each other again soon. After all, the time when this will be possible is now approaching. I'm going through a period of artistic consolidation. I'll soon have studied enough, in the sense of being schooled, and find myself reaching into my heart. The experiments will have to stop before long, although it's good to have tried out all of recent art history. In that way, one does not leave aside many things out of ignorance and one may have also assimilated certain smaller portions from what one wishes to leave behind. By thinking about and reading his letters, my love for Van Gogh is currently growing. It's good to think of this man as a landmark and not to rush past him thoughtlessly, because it's with him that the clock of painting has actually stopped. One good thing is that he did not fully speak out like Cézanne. It's good that Impressionism has already been transcended in his work in a reformatory manner, And yet all the profits of this period lie in it. His return to the line is reformatory. More than reformatory, it's cosmopolitan reformatory. From this, you will be able to deduce that I must have calmed down in my art. In autumn, I started to put orderly lines in all the hatching. Now I return, as I once did, to starting from the line, but now know what to do with the areas in between. It certainly has been twelve internally eventful years. First, me with blinkers, then no me without blinkers, now me again, no blinkers. It's good I had no idea of the length of the path back then. After a long period of time, I have finally read something again, Hérode and Marianne. Presently, I'll take the book to hand, credit to you. And now I must close because Lily has also communicated much, as he requested. Regards to our friends. Sincerely, your Clay. Diary, Munich, Autumn 1911 to January 1912. Uncle Lully is with us for a few days. He's in a bad mood. August Macker hung his hat on a chandelier in a public establishment. He's left his quarters and moved into our vacant maids' room. Kandinsky, about whom I've often spoken in the past and who lives in the house next door, this Kandinsky, whom Luli calls Shlabinsky, continues to exert a strong attraction on him. Luli often goes to visit him, sometimes taking along a work of mine and bringing back some non-objective picture without subject in return, all by this Russian, very curious paintings. This Kandinsky wants to organise a new society of artists, personal acquaintance has given me a somewhat deeper confidence in him. He certainly is somebody and has an exceptionally fine, clear mind. We met for the first time in a cafe in town. Amit and his wife were also present on their way through Munich. Then, on the trolley that was taking us home, we agreed to meet more often. In the course of the winter, I joined his Blaue Reiter. 1912. From my Munich art letter, which I wrote for Switzerland. Among the private galleries, it was once again the Tannhauser Gallery that attracted my attention with the third exhibition of the new association and this group's still more radical offshoot called the Blaue Reiter. Limiting myself to the idea, not to the momentary, accidental nature and the merely superficial appurtenance of a number of works, I should like to reassure people who found themselves unable to connect the offerings here with some favourite painting in the museums, were it even a Greco. For these are primitive beginnings in art, such as one usually finds in ethnographic collections or at home in one's nursery. Do not laugh, reader. Children also have artistic ability and there is wisdom in their having it. The more helpless they are, the more instructive the examples they furnish and they must be preserved free of corruption from an early age. Parallel phenomena are provided by the works of the mentally diseased, and neither childish behaviour nor madness are insulting words here, as they commonly are elsewhere. All this is to be taken very seriously when it comes to reforming today's art, more seriously than in the public galleries at least. If, as I believe, the currents of yesterday's tradition are really becoming lost in the sand, and the so-called unflinching pioneers, liberal gentlemen, display only apparently fresh and healthy faces, but actually, in the light of long-term history, are the very incarnation of exhaustion. Then a great moment has arrived, and I hail those who are working towards the impending reformation. The boldest of them is Kandinsky, who also tries to act by means of the word. The spiritual in art, published by Piper, Letter to Ernst Sonderegger in Paris, January 24th, 1912. Dear Ernst, Now I'm lagging behind my wife's letter, as befits an incompetent letter writer. I'm writing all the more urgently since I long for news from you, and so far it's not been possible to receive anything from you other than beautiful gifts. For today I'm including a small gift myself, namely one of my first lithographs. I don't know whether it's one of my best or not. So I'm deeply in your debt as well as in many other things, isn't that so? I'll keep it short and tell you a little bit. Why didn't we see each other in the summer? It would have been far better to see Big Felix and have to endure my bad telling of him. We would have liked to make music for you again. You've always been a good listener. And not to mention my work, which has now developed so much that I would like to send a small exhibition to you in Paris." Instead, there's only a single meagre wave coming to you, testifying to the tremendous feeling of half-measures that occur when friends are apart. And no more of your such interesting and personal art, no scraps and no word of news. As I didn't see Halle this year either, I travelled to Munich earlier than usual, I haven't heard anything reliable about you at all, only that you're alive and continue to regard yourself as my friend, that's all, a little and yet a lot, exactly for those reasons. I've encountered some interest recently, but the only one that fills me with pure joy is Cubans. In addition, I'm in contact with SEMA, a society of artists shared by Roja. But I'm not quite of the same mind, my heart is rather with Kandinsky, if you know who that is. I'm not talking about Kandinsky's immediate personality, but the ideas which amalgamate this whole society. Casper is planning a trip to Paris and will tell you about Seema. You must tell him about where my heart lies regarding art. And he'll probably want to convince you too. That you can always count on my support regarding admission goes without saying. Maya Grefa is said to be in Paris. He gave an overly popular lecture here, but in a very personable manner. I use the occasion to get my last and penultimate drawings to him. Since I'm becoming more and more primitive and he denies the primitives... I'm no longer interested in him in terms of ideas, and I hope to reach a conclusion with him soon. Now, I have to ask a delicate favour of you, namely that Hofer should ask him what impression he got of me. Firstly, he was only here so briefly that I couldn't get hold of him. I could have done it at the train station, but that wouldn't have been entirely worthy of me. Secondly, the vulture is still a bit good-natured and wouldn't have said the entire truth to my face, as I would have wished. If you could help me now, unsparingly, I would be very grateful to you. We, Lily and I, are also planning a short stay in Paris, preferably at Easter. So I was wondering whether you would still be there and whether you would know of somewhere we might stay. The most pleasant thing would of course be if we could ménage à toi, that is, if you could accommodate us somewhere at yours. We will of course be more than happy to reimburse you for food were we to eat at yours, but you have to tell me honestly if it's possible and if it would suit you. I wouldn't find quarters at Fella, for example, very welcome. Even if the answer is no, it doesn't matter at all, as a yes wouldn't fully secure the plan, given there are still some other difficulties remaining. Hopefully you'll now reply to me. Farewell and warm regards. Your faithful, Clay. P.S. If you're able to send me Hofer's address, I'll deal directly with him in regard to the above-mentioned matter. fiery munich february to april 1912 ah the secessions! they won't believe it anyway even if one could prove to them that they have outlived their usefulness they won't no matter how suspicious a symptom appears as now for instance when the battle of opinions tend more and more to transfer its arena to the provinces here one lives peacefully in the most beautiful palace in royal bavarian style and the poor public will have to grow accustomed to something new because it is the fullness of time once again. And it will be converted when the French manage again to make capital out of the new. And that will be sooner than one dares to think. De blaue reiter, so the thing is called. The enterprising editors Kandinsky and Marc have already organised a second show this winter, this time a graphic one in the upstairs room of the golf's bookshop. This dealer was the first in town to dare to exhibit cubist art in his display windows. The Badeaux describe it as a typical Schwabing production. Picasso, Durin, Braque, as Schwabing cronies. A nice thought. April. Thanks to these new Schwabing cronies and their works, the idea of having a look at things in Paris once more became very attractive. My wife wanted to come along too, and so we dared and decided. The boy had to be parked at my parents in Bern, this was obvious, and so I started out on this roundabout route while my wife went directly and arrived a few hours before me on April the 2nd. In Pontarlier, I took a local train and in this way, I was able to contemplate the crests of the Jura at a leisurely pace. Many soldiers boarded the train there. They were still wearing red pants. They twirled their cigarettes and were merry without being too bothersome. The railroad employees were rather unkempt. On their caps, it said, BLM Diary, Munich to Paris, April 1912 This noble train stopped at every station. Women with snow and rain-drenched clothes and baskets got on. An unspeakable smell of people spread. And so it went as far as Dijon. After a considerable delay, a through-train was ready, thank God. The air in the compartment was better now to... It smelled quite nice. The landscape around Dijon is appealing. Rocky hills, and in the midst of all this stone, the most beautiful blooming trees. A blossoming minority among stony complexes. Quite southern in aspect, that is to say French, where north and south melt into each other instead of being separated by a wall of ice. Gradually, the scenery lost its alien charm and became green, soft, crepuscular. Quiet streams appeared, here and there a grazing horse in the distance. Somewhere or other, we had to let two express trains pass. Ah, les directs, exclaimed a woman, trembling. And wham! One of those monsters sped past us. Ten minutes later, (laughs) the second. Real explosions. April the 2nd arrived at Gare de Lyon even later than scheduled. Sandra Ega and Lily, she already enraptured. To the Hôtel des Mines on the Boulevard Saint-Michel, then to Hoffer's to make an appointment. April 3rd, Boulevard, Seine, Notre-Dame, Grand Boulevard, Opéra, Louvre. In the afternoon, to the Musée du Luxembourg. Degas, Manet, the Balcony, etc., the Luxembourg Garden. April 4th, Palais Royal, Jardin des Tuileries, Place La Concorde, Champs-Elysées, to Hoffer's studio. In the afternoon, Salon des Indépendants. April the 5th, Forenoon, Pantheon. Afternoon, Louvre, Greco, De la Croix. Evening, Pantheon Bar. April the 6th, Montmartre, Sacré cœur Montmartre Cemetery. Something for Lily. At night, Quête Montparnasse, Poilu chez les Cocottes, with the comedian Cambon. April the 7th, Easter, Versailles. In the evening, Café de la Paix. April 8th, Notre Dame and Sainte Chapelle. In the evening, Karl Hoffers. April the 9th, Jardin des Plantes, the Church of Saint Germain l'Auxerrois, Louvre, Manet, Olympia, Ingres, Delacroix, Domier's Etruscan Collection. And in the afternoon, Theatre Café Panthéon. April 10th, Musée Cluny, Outer Boulevard, The Fortifications, Porte Clichy, Café du Dome, Schwabing like Milieu. April 11th, in the morning I visited Delaunay at his studio. In the afternoon, the Louvre, to see Manet's déjeuner, De La Croix, Guy. In the evening, concert Boulier. April the 12th, the Tower of Notre Dame. The afternoon at Ude's, Rousseau, Picasso, Braque, Rue de la Seine. In the evening, on Hoffer's recommendation, the coronation of the Emperor of India at the Cinéma coloré, English antics. April the 13th, Musée Carnavalet, then at Carnweiler's shop, Derain, Vlaminck, Picasso. In the afternoon, visit to Le Fauconnier. In the evening, ride on the Seine as far as Auteuil and back, en Bar. April 14th, Père Lachaise. In the afternoon, lovely cab ride in the Bois de Boulogne and along the Champs Elysees. Another visit to Halle to meet his wife. In the evening, Cirque Medrano. April 15th, Sen ride to Saint-Cloud, strolled around there, park, in the evening to the opera, Rigoletto and Ballet. April 16th, in the morning at Barbazange Gallery, at Kandinsky's request, in the afternoon at the apartment of Durand-Ruel, then to Bernheim-Jeune, Matisse, Guy, in the evening, Bal Tabarin. April 17th, at the cursed customs office at Car de l'Est, and then to Drouet. Observed the eclipse of the sun from near the church of the Madeleine. Afternoon at Café Panthéon. In the evening, signed 100 lithographs. Lily's departure. April 18th, in the morning, a visit to Monsieur Surbex. The afternoon at Saint-D'Agges met and impressed Halla who runs after his sister. At 10pm, departure for Bern. Spent five days there and went back to Munich. We found an excellent guide for Paris in Ernst Eger, even though he proved to be a guide primarily through old Paris. He looks skeptically at anything recent, but knows how to tell us the way. Postcard to Ernst Sonderegger in Paris, April 20th, 1912. My dear Ernst, the journey went very well, arrived safely. Met the little one in fine vettel. Bern made an unspeakably serene impression, although barely one of a city. Rather a tranquil garden, a picture, good for relaxing. I've already heard from my wife that she is reproachful of Munich, was very emotional having to leave Paris, and no longer denies her desire to move there. I'm waiting, you can never really know. I'm catching my breath here for a few days before routine life begins again, which I hope will prove that we have recuperated thoroughly, despite the amount of matters waiting to be dealt with. I don't want to restate what it meant to us to have found a home with you. I thank you, and especially your dear wife, for everything. Warm regards to your sister and other friends. Yours, Clay. Letter from Robert Delaunay to Paul Clay, October 2nd, 1912. Dear Mr. Clay, I followed with great interest a translation of your article published in Die Alpen, which Mr. Arp sent to me on the occasion of the exhibition in Zurich. I've wanted to tell you that for a long time. The visit of Mr. and Mrs. Mark and Mr. Marker persuaded me to do so. They reminded me of my intention because I told them my opinion of the article. You rightly point to the original otherness of modern expression, which has been increasingly confirmed, and to the last remaining links to classicism on the part of certain painters who summon classical truths. The otherness is already well established. We have suffered enough, and art must now, in its new guise, shine in all its glory." Please find attached a quick copy of my notes, which should confirm our mutual faith. The superfluous remains to be removed. They merely represent pointers of a more oral nature, which I believe correspond to our intentions. Please excuse the length and the unrefined state of the draft. With a warm handshake, Robert Delaunay. About Light by Robert Delaunay From Der Sturm, Vokenschrift für Kultur und die Künste, Third year Number one four four one four five, January nineteen thirteen, pages two hundred fifty five to two hundred fifty six. During the course of Impressionism, light was discovered in painting, light captured from the depths of sensation as an organism of color consisting of complementary values, from masses adding up to a pair, and contrasts concerning several sides simultaneously, arriving in such manner via the coincidentally obvious, at a universal reality of the greatest depth. Nous voyons jusqu'aux étoiles. The eye, as our preferred sense, now mediates between the brain and the vitality of a world characterised by concomitant relations between division and unity. In the course of which, the powers of perception and cognition must unite. You have to want to see. The sense of hearing alone would not have enabled us to achieve such perfect and universal knowledge, and without the perceptual possibilities of the sense of sight, we would have stopped at successive movement, at the metre of the clock, so to speak. We would have remained with the parity of the object, with the projected object without depth. Such an object is inhabited by very constricted movement, a simple sequence of degrees of intensity we would, in the best case, be able, figuratively speaking, to merely arrive at a row of carriages linked to one another. Architecture and sculpture have to be satisfied thereby. Even the most sizeable objects on earth cannot surmount such a lack, even if we consider the Eiffel Tower or the railway line as symbols of the greatest height and length, and metropolises as symbols of the most extensive surface area. As long as art does not detach itself from the object, it remains description, literature, It lowers itself in the use of inadequate means of expression. It condemns itself to the slavery of imitation. And this also applies if it emphasizes the appearance of light on an object or the lighting conditions of several objects without the light being elevated to the point of representational autonomy. Nature is permeated by a rhythm that cannot be restricted in its multiplicity. Art may imitate it in order to merge into the same sublimity to rise to aspects of multiple harmony, a harmony of colors that separate and at the same time reunite as a whole. Such synchronic action can be considered the actual and only subject of painting. Responsible for the translation, Paul Clay. The next episode, Tunisia, 1914, tells of the iconic journey of the three fellow artists, Paul Clay, August Macke, and Louis Mouelier, shortly before the outbreak of the First World War. Mapping Clay is a series of podcasts by Zentrum Paul Clay. This podcast has been produced by Maze Pictures, Swiss.